It's no secret that grade inflation is rampant in American high schools. Student grade point averages have climbed steadily over the past 20 years, especially in wealthier districts and schools, even as SAT scores and other indicators of students' academic accomplishment have been flat or declined. Is this cause for concern? Do students learn less from teachers with low grading standards? And if so, how might we convince more teachers to set a high bar when evaluating student work? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Seth Gershenson. Seth is an associate professor at the School of Public Affairs at American University and the author of End the Easy A, Tougher Grading Standards Set More Students Up for Success, an article that will appear in the spring 2020 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Seth, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Whether teachers with high grading standards get better results is a hugely important question. It's one with implications for decisions that millions of teachers make every day. And it seems like it should be straightforward to answer. But as your article makes clear, that's not the case, which helps to explain Mm -hmm. why there's so little credible evidence on the topic to guide what teachers do. So a first challenge is to figure out just how demanding a grader each teacher is. How did you go about doing that in your study? Yeah, so so that's the first reason that a project like this is is difficult. And our approach to this is to basically look at all of the students that a teacher had and then compare the test scores that those kids have to the grades that they were awarded by those teachers. So specifically, we're looking at uh, Algebra One teachers in North Carolina, and we're looking over many years in the past, uh, comparing the Algebra One end of course exam scores to the same Algebra One grades that they earned in those classes. And then we can look at the gap between test scores and grades for all of the students of a given teacher and see if, you know, for kids who get a B, do the students of certain teachers who get a B tend to have higher scores? Do some tend to have lower scores? And then that's the basic measure of grading standards that we use. And so you're focusing on North Carolina because it's one of the very few places where you have a statewide database that includes both the grades students receive from teachers in courses and their performance on an aligned end of course exam. So that's why North Carolina, right. why Algebra 1? Yeah, so uh, this, I guess this is also partly why North Carolina. So we're looking at a, a 10 or 15 year span where in the state of North Carolina, Algebra 1 was consistently required for graduation and therefore almost all students in the state took Algebra 1 either in 8th or ninth grade. So we have consistent uh, test scores for Algebra 1. The course itself was fairly consistent. And then we also have these transcript files that we're able to pull the course grades from. And you just explained how this makes it possible to compare the grading standards used by different teachers. It also allows you to look at just how tough graders, teachers in North Carolina are as a whole. What do we learn about the standards that North Carolina teachers are setting for students taking Algebra 1? Are there a lot of students earning A's and B's who nonetheless struggle on the end of course exam? Yeah, there are. Um, And there's really uh, just tremendous variation 
in the test scores that are earned for any given grade level. And in a previous report we did on grade inflation, we document that there's a, a pretty non-trivial segment of kids who get an A or even a B in the course, but then don't score proficient on the end-of-course exam. So, so those mismatches happen uh, for sure. But what's really interesting to us is that in this study, we show that those mismatches, those cases where the grades and the end-of-course exams don't really align, uh, those misalignments are more common or more systematically seen for some teachers than for others. And that comes back to, to how we're identifying teachers as having high grading standards or having lower grading standards. Okay, so having done that, having picked out the tough and easy graders, the second big challenge is obviously to say something about the causal effect of being a tough or an easy grader on student learning. So how do you go about right. addressing that challenge? Yeah, that's right. That's the, that's the second big challenge for a study like this. And we approach it basically the same way we approach trying to estimate the effect of any teacher characteristic on student outcomes. You know, whether we're looking at the effect of certification or teacher experience, the concern is always going to be that maybe certain types of students are systematically assigned to certain types of teachers. And if that type of sorting was happening, uh, we wouldn't be able to differentiate, you know, is it the effect of the teacher's characteristics or are we just picking up the effect of whatever, you know, unobserved factors were causing that sorting, you know, like a, like an involved parent or a particularly um, attentive principal or something like that. So the, the way that researchers solve that sorting problem is using what's known as a value-added model, uh, which is really a, a simple procedure where we adjust for the student's previous achievement. And what, what a whole bunch of research has shown is that almost all of that sorting I described in the classrooms, almost all of that sorting is based on previous year's test scores. Or, uh, and so we look at the previous year's end of course exam in math. And since we're looking at Algebra 1 for 8th and ninth graders, what that means is we're basically using the either 7th or 8th grade math score to adjust for that selection, to adjust for that assignment to teachers. And then you're going to look at whether the students who are placed with a demanding teacher make more progress over that year when they're enrolled in Algebra 1 than students assigned to less demanding teachers. And if right. I understand it correctly, when you're making that comparison, you're also limiting your attention to students who are in the same school and in the same grade in the same year uh, when asking whether right. the students assigned to teachers with higher grading standards do better. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, now, it turns out that the, that's sort of the second-order concern to this first-order concern of student-teacher matching at the student level, but we still might be worried that some, certain schools are going to have higher grading standards or certain schools are going to have higher test scores because of maybe tutoring access or other aspects of the school. And, and also remember that teachers sort across schools. So to, can, to adjust for all of that, we are making very, very tight comparisons of basically schools that have multiple Algebra 1 teachers 
teaching in the same grade in the same year. And specifically, in a situation like that, when one teacher has higher standards than the other, all we're doing here is adjusting for how the students did in the past, adjusting for some other student background characteristics, and then saying, in this school, in the ninth grade, in 2005, did the students of the higher standards teacher do better than the students of the lower standards teacher? That's the, that's the fundamental comparison we're making. Yeah, so if you're a parent in a given school, which teacher would you prefer to be with, the easy grader or the tough grader? So let's right. turn to the answer to that question. And you first look at whether students learn more that year that they're enrolled in Algebra 1. And right, I'll quote you here. Teachers with the highest standards increase student test scores by a whopping 17% of a standard deviation compared to their counterparts in the bottom quartile. The term whopping there suggests that this difference in learning you're reporting is a big deal. Can you help put it in context? Yeah, um, so 17% of a standard deviation is big. Um, it's big in the sense that that's, that's kind of close to the to a one standard deviation increase in teacher quality. So when we use value-added measures to uh, identify teacher effectiveness, um, that's a huge, that's basically swapping out a very, very effective teacher for an, an ineffective teacher. Um, we could also put that in terms of student absences. Um, that's about the effect of a dozen student absences or so. Um, if we put it in terms of uh, uh, weeks of learning or months of learning, several months of student learning. So um, compared to other inputs, compared to other interventions, compared to other ways of measuring achievement, um, this is a really big effect. Yeah, the other comparison that jumped out to me uh, as potentially useful is just other characteristics of teachers that researchers have tried to link to student achievement. As you well know, despite the enormous variation in effectiveness from one teacher to another, it's been very hard to identify any characteristics that are consistently related or explain a lot of that variation. Uh, and this suggests that just knowing whether a teacher is a tough or an easy grader is actually telling you a lot about their effectiveness. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, for the most part, observed characteristics, especially the characteristics um, that we observe before a teacher enters the teaching force are not very predictive of effectiveness. Um, and the handful of things that are predictive are things like experience, um, having a same race match for students of color, um, maybe a little bit of certification. Um, but, but a lot of those effects are relatively small. Um, and this is something that, even though it's not directly observed, you know, like on an application, it is very easily constructed by the school district. In other words, the school district can look at the same data I looked at and figure out who the high standards graders are, who the low standard graders are. And they can really use that as a simple metric of teacher effectiveness. So that statistic we just discussed, 17% of a standard deviation, that's the effect in learning in Algebra 1 of having a teacher in the top 25% in terms of grading standards versus one in the bottom 25%. And if right. I understand it correctly, that's the average effect across all students. I could imagine that average effect varying. And in particular, I could imagine listeners being concerned about, say, low-achieving students, that 
perhaps having a tough grader could be discouraging to students coming in with less preparation. Do you find any evidence that that's the case? Uh, short answer, no, we don't. Um, this was a big concern, and this is an issue um, raised by theoretical approaches to thinking about this, as well as sort of critics of, of this high standards idea. And the concern is that um, high standards might mean that you get a, a slightly lower grade than, than you might otherwise get, and then that lower grade might discourage you or cause you to disengage or, or to question your ability or something like that. So there, there was a legitimate concern that this effect would vary across um, socioeconomic status groups or racial groups, um, past achievement, and, and very simply, we find that there's positive big effects for everybody um, by gender, by race, by previous math achievement, by socioeconomic status. Um, in all cases, uh, the effect uh, is very, very similar. And when we simply compare the top 75% of teachers to the bottom 25%, the effect ranges from 8 to 10% of a standard deviation. So it really doesn't vary much at all. It's the same for everybody. And so we've been talking about the effects on learning in Algebra 1 the same year the student is enrolled with this teacher who's a tougher and easy grader. What about yep. longer-term outcomes, say learning in subsequent math courses? Is there any persistence in the effect of having had a teacher with high standards in Algebra 1 in later years? Uh, yeah, there is. Um, and this was a really interesting uh, result. I, I'm, and I'll admit I was a, a tiny bit surprised um, here. But what we find is that we also look at geometry, which happens after Algebra 1, and then Algebra 2, which happens after geometry, or two years after Algebra 1. And the effects are much smaller, as you might imagine, um, but they're still sizable. And so when we compare a top 25% grading standards teacher to a bottom 25% grading standards teacher in Algebra 1, we do see a significant effect of about 7% of a standard deviation in geometry and 8.5% boost in Algebra 2. Um, and I think this is very intuitive um, that there, there's an effect on both. So this suggests that, that students really um, learn more and, and engage more with math, um, you know, work harder, learn more, et cetera. And it's not a fleeting thing, but it actually sticks with students, which is good. Um, you know, it indicates that teachers aren't teaching to the test in a counterproductive way, but rather they're getting students to engage and learn more in a way that sticks with them. Um, the only other, I think, sort of nuance here that's worth pointing out is that the effect on Algebra 2 is a little bit bigger than the effect on geometry, even though it's two years removed rather than one. And again, I think that's consistent with the idea of learning more, because Algebra 2 is more in line with Algebra 1, than geometry is. All right, so you've made a good case that high grading standards are beneficial for students, or at a minimum that it's good to have a teacher with high grading standards. So mm -hmm. who are those teachers? Which teachers have high standards? Here, there's a little bit more variation. One interesting pattern we see is that teachers tend to, their standards tend to increase with their experience in the classroom. So uh, over the course of a teaching career, 
we see that novice teachers tend to have lower standards, and then over the course of their career, they tend to increase a little bit. So there's a there's sort of a, a gradient or a learning curve um, over which teachers increase their standards a little bit. Um, and then we see some other sort of very small differences. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that stands out is if you look at the college that teachers went to, um, teachers who went to a selective college um, as rated by barons or, or an agency like that, they tend to have a little bit higher grading standards than teachers who went to less selective colleges. And I'd say those are the two big, big differences, but not, um, not huge. I don't think we can sort of definitively predict who's going to be a high, uh, a high standards teacher or not. But there are some, some subtle differences in terms of where teachers went to college and how much experience they have in the classroom. Yeah, the experience gradient that you mentioned is particularly interesting to me. Uh, it seems as if some teachers may come in with the idea that we need to use high grades to encourage students' engagement and find that not working on average and that leading them to uh, try a new approach later in their careers. Of course, that's uh, speculative, mm -hmm. but it makes some intuitive right. sense to me. Yeah, I think that I think that that's probably part of it. Um, I think the other um, the other speculative speculative reason, um, and these aren't mutually exclusive, but the other idea that I was thinking about is to the extent that some of this grade inflation is due to parental pressure. It could also be that novice teachers um, are more susceptible to that parental pressure, and over the course of their career, they um, they become more resilient to that um, pressure for A's. I think both things could be happening, but. And, and I think that would be a fascinating study for someone to conduct in the future. But, but for now, that's speculative. So let's talk about the implications of this research. Yep. I'm someone who, like you, assigns a lot of grades, though in a higher education setting. And mm -hmm. I'm struck by how all of the incentives really work against maintaining high standards for student work. You quote right. Success Academy founder Eva Moskowitz as saying, when teachers give high grades for mediocre work, no one asks any questions and they can carry on as before. When they give more realistic grades, they have an obligation to follow up with detailed feedback, more support, and better instruction. And that's certainly the case in my experience. In high schools, I imagine teachers have to worry about complaints from students and parents looking for an edge in college admissions. So exactly, how yep. can education leaders work against those incentives? I think there's a few things. One... One simple approach is just to make teachers aware of of where their grading standards and grading practices fit in the broader distribution of teachers' grading practices. Um, you know, it's really uh, it, it's hard to know for a teacher um, to to understand where they stand without seeing all of that data, um, and they don't see all that data, right? They don't they don't see the average EOC scores of their colleagues normally. So one simple light touch thing to do um, would just be to simply let teachers know where they fit in, in the schools or the districts distribution of grades and grading standards. The other, I think, big room for a policy lever is in the teacher training programs in the nation's colleges of education. Um, and, and here, you know, talking about empirical evidence like this um, 
I think would be useful. Uh, and, and talking about the value of high expectations and high grading standards um, and, and being a little more aggressive on that front in colleges and schools of education would also be useful. My guest today has been Seth Gershenson, Associate Professor at American University and author of End the EZA, available now at educationnext.org. Seth, congratulations on the new study, and thanks for being part of the podcast. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.